Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Turning to the scriptures this morning, uh, last week, uh, because I was feeling extremely benevolent and loving towards you, I cut my sermon down so it wouldn't be too long, and we decided to split it up into two messages. And because uh, I know, above all else, I can mess everything up but as long as I make sure you get to Cracker Barrel before First Baptist, I'm good, right? And so I cut that baby up into two messages, and we're going to finish it this morning. So we've been in this, mess, this series of messages called Wonderful Words. These are critical words in the Bible that you really need to understand. You need to have a foundational understanding of them. Otherwise, your discipleship, your growth in, as a Christian is going to be stunted in different ways. We've looked at words like uh, inspiration and salvation, right? And, uh, you know, uh, and now this one here, sanctification. And we're going to have a couple of others that are coming up in the month of August. Well, last week, we started with this idea of sanctification. It's a word that's 140, 150 times in the Bible, if you look at all the derivations of it. In the New Testament, it comes from the Greek word hagiosmos, which the simple definition of that is to dedicate something or someone to the service of God. Uh, to consecrate, set someone aside for God's service and use. And we look to Jerry Bridges, who gives a, a little bit fuller explanation, and he says, sanctification then is the work of the Holy Spirit in us, whereby our inner being is progressively changed, freeing us more and more from sinful traits and developing within us over time the virtues of Christ-like character. We know that our sanctification is God's will. He tells us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that God's will is for us to be sanctified, to flee sexual immorality, and there's a whole list of things, right? And oftentimes, this word sanctification in the Bible is attached to this idea of living a holy life, to pursue holiness, to be like Christ, because the Scriptures tell us in Romans chapter 8, that the very God who chooses us before the foundations of the world for salvation has also decreed that we would be transformed into the image of Christ. This is sanctification. So we come to the scriptures and that word sanctification is everywhere, but even more, there are whole passages of scriptures and verses here that speak into this idea of sanctification. So that's why we're in 2 Peter chapter 1, 
uh, verses 1 to 11. Even though the word sanctification is not in this passage of Scripture, the concept of sanctification and the truth and application of scriptural doctrine is all throughout these verses as it relates to sanctification. So there's four gospel truths and applications in these 11 verses. We looked at two of them last week. Let me do a quick review. First of all, God's saving grace through Jesus is the foundation for our sanctification. Verse one says, to those who through the righteousness of God our sa- and, and our Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. We love here at Covenant that word in verse two, grace. Grace, what a wonderful word. Grace is God's unmerited favor towards us because Jesus sacrificed himself and merited it for us. Remember that tension, right? That God's grace, giving us what we do not deserve, comes to us because he gave Jesus what we do deserve. It is God's favor towards us because he poured out his disfavor upon Jesus Christ. And so because Jesus took our place on the cross, God can move towards us for our good, declaring us righteous, as he mentions in verse one. And that declaration of righteous is another one of those important words, justification, where we are made right and declared right before God, a righteousness that comes through faith. This grace that God gives us, this is not some warm, fuzzy feeling. This is not some ethereal, emotional sense of well-being that God just sends out, you know, good vibes. You ever, you ever seen that online, you know? Let's think about someone and send them good vibes, you know? That is not grace. Grace is not God sending good vibes to us. In the Bible, grace, God's grace, is God moving towards us, involving himself in our lives, intervening in our lives for our good and for his glory. So God moves towards us for our good and he justifies us, he declares us righteous. He moves towards us for our good and he strengthens us, he encourages us, he convicts us of sin, he disciplines us. All of these are ways that God is moving towards us for our good, and these are manifestations of his grace. If we don't understand that God's grace and justification is the foundation for our sanctification, then we will revert to a performance mentality where we, through spiritual disciplines and religious activity, will seek to earn God's favor and to increase our standing before him. At best, if our sanctification is not grounded in our justification, our Christian experience will become very discouraging. It will become an experience that is filled with guilt and with shame, and many times Christians get so frustrated they just throw up their hands and they say, what's the use? And they discontinue even following God or certainly pursuing holiness. That's the best outcome if we don't ground sanctification and justification. The worst outcome is that we become little legalist. We become like the Pharisees and we have too high of a, of a view of ourselves. And so last week, we, we used an illustration 
That comes from Jerry Bridges. And y'all have heard me use this name. I, I love reading Jerry Bridges when it comes to have anything to do with uh, Christian growth and transformation. And so last week, we, we've all seen, right, where you put books, you have books on a bookshelf, and at some point, they fall over, right? And so you have to build a bookend. And so we, we turned and we said, okay, in the Christian life, right, these books, they represent something. You, you come to Christ, and you're a new creation, and, and yet you're sinning. And so maybe you turn to a, a pastor or a friend, and you go, I'm doing this, and, and, and something's wrong. And they, what do they tell you? You know what you need to do? You need to start reading your Bible every day. You need to get on a Bible reading plan and start reading your Bible. And the Holy Spirit will use the Word of God to help you to fight sin. Oh, and by the way, you need to pray every day, right? And you need to spend time talking to God. Oh, and it, you cannot grow as a Christian if you do not get involved in a, in a local church, right? So you need to become, a, a, you know, come for corporate worship where the Holy Spirit can feed you. And we don't walk alone in the Christian life. To, to mature as a Christian, you need to be in biblical community. So let's put that in there too. And God gave you spiritual gifts, right? And you're to use those gifts. And you know what? It's Hebrews tells us it's by the use of your gifts that you learn to discern good from evil. So let's add that in there. Okay, and, and we just keep adding, you know, here's, here's being generous with our money and funding the kingdom of God. And then, you know, being good stewards of our time and talent. And, and, it, and this is what it feels like. And that poor Christian at some point says, look, I'm, I'm reading my Bible, I'm praying, I'm in church, I'm in community, and, and I'm still sinning, I'm still struggling, I still have these habits, and I still struggle to share my faith. Well, you know, in real life, what happens when these books fall over like this we put a bookend, right? And this bookend right here is an important bookend in our Christian life and in our pursuit of holiness and in sanctification. This is the bookend of our position in Jesus Christ. This is God's declaration of us that we are loved sons and daughters, that we are accepted by him completely because we are in Christ Jesus. Our position in Christ Jesus means that no matter how we do at any given time in any of these religious activities, no matter how we're doing as far as maybe victory over a sinful habit, it doesn't matter if we have a horrible week and we go so far as to beat the dog, which is way up there in the sin category, right? I mean, it doesn't matter what it happens in that week. If you are a Christian and you're a follower of Christ and you've been accepted by the Lord Jesus Christ, the quality of your week does not affect God's love and acceptance and grace towards you one iota. Your very worst week does not decrease God's favor towards you. And your very best week does not increase the amount of God's favor and love that you have. We have all of God's love and all of God's favor that we're ever going to get. It is ours because it was purchased for us by Jesus Christ on the cross. And we become sons and daughters of God and we trust in Jesus. At that moment in time, God adopts us into his family. And we have all that we need and all that we could ever get. So that first bookend is important. Who we are in Christ, our position in Christ, that bookend, our position in Christ, important. Second application last week. There was the power of Christ through the indwelling Holy Spirit enables our sanctification. 
Verse three says his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. We do not sanctify ourselves. We do not transform ourselves. There is no transformation into the image of Jesus Christ. There is no development of Christ-like character in our lives apart from the presence and the ministry of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit who actually transforms us, right? The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the what? Spirit, okay? Spiritual transformation, sanctification. It, it's, church, it's not like going to the gym, which some of us me, need to do more of, right? You know, you, go, you look at yourself and you go, you know what, I want bigger biceps. I need bigger biceps. I've got weenie arms. I want to have bigger arms. I want to have arms like the rock, okay? You know, I go, to the, I go to the gym, I start doing curls, I start drinking that nasty taste and powdered protein, and I up all that, and I get myself on a regimen. You know what's gonna happen? I'm never gonna have arms like the rock. <laughs> but my biceps will get bigger, right? If you do X, Y is going to happen when it comes to your physical bodies and to a certain extent. That's not how it is with spiritual transformation. We can't read our Bible every day, X, and that automatically creates Y. That's not how it happens. It's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the scriptures tell us in this passage, who gives us the power to reject sin, to say no to sin in Titus chapter two, to say no to ungodly passions and the temptations of this world, and to say yes to godliness and those things which bring us life. That happens to the Holy Spirit. Verse three, his divine power has given us everything that we need for life and godliness. So in Galatians, when Paul writes, walk by the spirit and by him, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He's telling us how important it is for us to depend upon the spirit. So when we go back to our bookends and our books here, we understand that bookend, you need two bookends. And the first one says this right here. If, if you don't ground all of your spiritual disciplines and spiritual activity in who you are in Christ, then, then the Christian life will become onerous. It'll become burdensome. It will actually become counterproductive if you don't have this first bookend in place, right? It's gotta be there. It's gotta be grounded in this. But you need this second bookend, the indwelling Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit at work within you. Paul tells us in Philippians chapter four, verse 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? And so these two bookends, vitally important for us if we are gonna understand sanctification and not only understand it, see it transform us. And the thing that kind of unites these two bookends is that little word dependence. When we come to God and when we interact in the Christian life, we depend on who God says that we are. We rest in our identity in Jesus Christ. We depend on that, that we're accepted and loved. 
And then we depend upon the Holy Spirit, the power of Christ within us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Those first two applications, super important, okay? But now let's move on and let's begin with our third application, which I wanna give to you basically as our takeaway truth this morning. And this takeaway truth and this third application helps us to better understand why it is so vitally important that we depend upon the Holy Spirit, His power and His work within us as we pursue holiness. Third application, we are called to participate with the Holy Spirit as He sanctifies us. Listen, I've been a pastor for a long time. And I have, on a regular basis, interacted with people, and it seems like there's just a certain percentage of Christians who gravitate to one extreme or the other when it comes to this idea of sanctification. So let's just say on the left side of the continuum, you have the the let go and let God people. The let go and let God extreme. How many of you have ever seen this bumper sticker or heard this expression, right? Yeah, I mean, you'll say, let go and let God, okay? And, and, you know, you can go to passages of Scripture, verses in the Scripture that, that seem to that, that teach this. Like 1 Thessalonians 5, 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The let go and let God extreme just says, hey, look, man, just relax. Go with the flow. Just Rest in God and who you are and and just let him change you. When he's ready for you to put down the crack pipe, you'll put down the crack pipe, okay? When he's ready for you to stop going to the strip club, you'll stop going to the strip club. Now, we laugh, but I've actually had these kinds of conversations with Christians. I mean, it wasn't too many years ago that I had that very conversation with a a couple and the woman brought her husband to me for counseling. Because he's, right, you know, if God doesn't want me going to those places, he'll stop me from going, you know? And so that's the let go and go. This is like the, this is the surfer dude mentality of Christianity, right? Hey, dude, it's all good. Just let go, let God, you know? This is, for those of you are a little older, this is the hippie version of Christianity, right? This is Zen Christianity. This is the navel-gazing type of Christianity, right? That's one extreme that's out there. The other stream doesn't say, let go and let God. The other stream says, get going and get God, right? Get busy, you know? You got to work. You got to be busy to get God and get his blessings. And they can point to lots of verses too. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You're having problems with temptations and sin? Put on the armor of God. What's the very first armor of God? It's the sword of the spirit. Pick up that Bible, memorize it, read it every day, get on McShane's reading program, read it through every year, and you'll see that you'll begin to defeat Satan because that's what you need. And so Christianity becomes activity after activity after activity in order for you to be able to defeat sin and temptations in your life. And, you know, we actually, we kind of feel the tensions of these two extremes in our passage. I mean, you you go to verses one to three, and they're all about the work of God in us, right? We're depending on our position in Christ before God. God has done this for us in Christ and the Holy Spirit. Where are we at in this, right? I mean, it's God who is doing this. That's one in an extreme. His divine power has given us everything we need for life 
and godliness. There you are. Let go, let God. But then you come to verses four to eight. And in verses four to eight, our effort is everywhere. It's everywhere. Look at it again. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, read the next five words with me. Make every effort to add. Make every effort to add. And here's the thing, that clause is implied throughout the rest of this passage. And I'm gonna gonna provide it for us as we read through it. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness. And make every effort to add to your goodness, knowledge. And make every effort to add to your knowledge, self-control. Make every effort to add to your self-control, perseverance. And make every effort to add to perseverance, godliness. And make every effort to add to godliness, brotherly kindness. And make every effort to add to brotherly kindness, love. Effort is everywhere. If you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So which is it? Is it let go, let God, or get going and get God? Which is it? Church, both views have a kernel of truth to them. Uh, by, By the way, every spiritual aberration, every spiritual heresy, every cult that is calls itself a Christian cult, Every one of these have a kernel of biblical truth to them. But what's happening is that they're cherry picking verses that support the position and they're ignoring all the other verses that say something else. And and, then that's what happens here in these two extremes. Yeah, you can point to these verses, those verses, but you gotta look at the entirety of scripture. J.I. Packer in his work on sanctification rightly points out Now, when it comes to our salvation, justification, right? Our regeneration, that was one of the words that we've looked at this summer. That these are, that our salvation is is a monergistic work of God. Monergistic. Sanctification is a synergistic work of God, which prohibits both of these extremes. Our justification is monergistic. Our sanctification is synergistic. Now, look, we already looked at monergistic earlier in the summer. When we looked at salvation, we talked about that word. And I know that none of you probably remember much of it. So, real quick. It's t- it, monergistic is two, comes from two Greek words that are combined. There's mono. Mono means what? One or alone. That's right. And erg, E-R-G. Erg means work or a unit of work. It's the word from which we get our word energy. And so when we say that our justification, our salvation is the monergistic work of God, we're saying that God alone accomplished our salvation. And it has to be this way. We know that it has to be this way. And the scriptures teach us the reason why salvation is the monergistic work of God is because we do not have the capacity to help one iota. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. We have no ability at all to do anything that is spiritually righteous before God. So our salvation has to be monergistic, not synergistic. Titus chapter two, it is not because of your works done by us in righteousness. It has to be monergistic. 
We don't have the ability in our natural state to do one righteous work. The scriptures say we are dead in our sins. The only thing we want to do is sin. Everything that we do is sin. In one way or another, it is corrupted and tainted by the presence of sin. We need someone or something from outside of ourselves to come intervene in our lives, bring us back to life. Instead of a dead heart in sin, give us a living, beating, spiritual heart that now has eyes that can see and ears that can hear and a mind that can understand the truth of God. We need someone from outside of ourselves to intervene and to bring us the gift of faith so that we will actually trust in Jesus Christ and the desire to trust in him. And who is that person? God. Salvation, justification, it is the monergistic work of God. We're sin dead. Hearts are dead. And as he said to Nicodemus, you must be born again. In other words, you need a new living heart. And the only one that can give it to you is God. And so if you're here this morning and you, your life maybe has fallen around, around your ears, has fallen down around your ears, or you have questions, it, one of the easiest and best places to start is just to begin to pray simply, God, will you give me a new heart that understands Jesus and loves Jesus? And you'll see that when God answers that prayer, your entire life will change, and the whole trajectory of your life will change. So when God gives us a new heart, that's called regeneration. He brings us to life. It's a new birth. And in regeneration, he gives us a new heart and he makes us a new creation. And with that new heart, we have new desires. We want to be godly. We want to live righteously. We want to live for God and obey him and not sin. We have a a new delight in our lives to glorify God and not live for ourselves. This new heart gives us a new direction for our lives and purpose for our life, where we are on mission for Jesus Christ, being his ambassadors to a world who needs the love and the good news of his gospel. That's monergistic. In monergistic, God gives us this new heart. He alone does it. Synergistic, Greek words too, combined. Syn, S-Y-N, means together, cooperatively. Erg, work. So it is working together. It is working cooperatively. And again, you see this in the scriptures. Philippians chapter two, great example of it. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or in other words, do not presume upon the grace of God. Do not continue sinning and living however you want to, but instead work out, live out that salvation in awe and reverence of our holy God. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And it's one single passage. You have both aspects of sanctification. God is at work in us and we are at work together to bring about the desired outcome. See, what happens is with regeneration, God gives us all these new desires, right? To say no to sin, to live for God, to be on mission for God, to be more like Christ. Sanctification happens when the Holy Spirit prompts us to take action in some way and then 
uh, to take action on those desires that we have in some way, and then we actually obey that prompting. So sanctification, what happens is you have this new heart. The new heart that God has given you is made and desires to say no to a sinful temptation. And, and so something comes, we'll just say you're watching TV, something across, comes across the screen. And, and all of a sudden inside of your heart, you, you feel this sense, hey, don't watch this, turn the channel. That's the prompting of the Holy Spirit. Okay, sanctification is when we have that prompting, we then take action. We hit the clicker and we put it on something much more edifying like ESPN, right? And we obey. This is sanctification. I had a great conversation with one of our men yesterday. We had, what a great time. Thank you, family ministry staff and all the volunteers who helped put on yesterday. We had a great time, as you could see from the video earlier. And as we were standing around in there uh, baking in the 95 degree heat, uh, man, was it hot. So all the kids, of course, loved it because of the water. I was talking to one of our brothers and he was telling me about his vacation and how they had uh, you know, stopped at a restaurant on the way uh, on, at one point. And, and as they, they interacted with the waiter, the waiter was very friendly. The waiter began talking to them and, it, and it, near the end of the meal, kind of a door opened and you know, the, that prompting that can arise uh, happened. And our brother turned to the, the waiter and said, hey, can I just ask you a question? Uh, where are you with Jesus or something along those lines, right? He asked him about his relationship to Christ. And the young man just opened up and they had this incredible conversation. Now listen, he doesn't do that with every waiter and waitress of every restaurant that he ever comes to because he's not prompted to do that at every waiter at every waitress at every restaurant that he comes to. But when he was prompted, he obeyed. That is sanctification in action. That is synergistic working together with the Holy Spirit as he sanctifies us and changes us into the image of Christ. J.I. Packer, I mentioned him a second ago, writes in his, in his work on sanctification. He says, sanctification is an ongoing cooperative process in which regenerate persons, alive to God and freed from sin's dominion, are required to exert themselves in sustained obedience. God's method of sanctification is neither activism or self-reliant activity, nor apathy, God-reliant passivity, but it instead it is God-dependent effort. You know what he's saying there at the end? He just doesn't say it as well as I do. <laughs> he said, sanctification is not let go and let God. And sanctification is not get going and get God. Sanctification is God-dependent effort. That's sanctification. Go, go back to those bookends for a moment. What role does reading our Bibles and praying and worshiping together corporately and getting involved in a small group for discipleship and serving and, and all of the, these spiritual disciplines and, and spiritual activity, what role do they play? It's not a magic formula. I said that already. There's no power in and of themselves just simply because you do them that that means ipso facto, you are now transformed. Not at all, right? Remember, it's the Holy Spirit who transforms us. And as frustrating as it is, guys, he changes us according to his schedule, not ours. <laughs> he transforms us according to his knowledge and his will and in a way that honestly, we cannot fully understand. The scriptures don't give us this, that kind of insight. 
But here's what we do know from the scriptures. We know that the Holy Spirit makes use of these ordinary means of God's sanctifying grace to transform us over time. These are God's ordinary means by which we can experience his sanctifying grace as the Holy Spirit works in us. Let me, let me illustrate it like this. All of us, I imagine, at one time or another, especially those of us who are a little older, back when we used to play outside, right? Remember that? And we played outside because you didn't have anything inside worth playing with. <laughs> and so uh, uh, we would get dirty, right? Do you ever get dirty? Maybe you come home from ball practice. Children, teenagers, you come home now from ball practice and you're sweaty and you're dirty and, and all of that. And you walk into the house. What's the first thing that you hear from your mom? Yeah, exactly. Get in the shower. So yeah, exactly. Get in the shower. Uh, what, what is she saying? She goes, I, she's saying to you, and what she wants is she wants you to get cleaned up. But she knows that you don't have the ability to clean yourself up. She knows that if he, she, you know, just leaves you to yourself and you go to your bedroom, you know, you've got all that dirt, you, you may, you know, try to rearrange the dirt and a lot of it's going to end up on the floor for her to clean up and you're not going to be clean, are you? So when she says, get in the shower, what she's telling you to do is to, she wants you to put yourself under the cleansing power of that soap and water, right? That's what she wants. That's the whole point, get in the shower. Okay, so what does that have to do with personal worship, corporate worship, prayer and Bible reading and service? Well, these things are called God's ordinary means of grace. And we know that the scriptures that we've looked at even last week, Romans 8, it is God's will for us to be transformed into the image of Christ, to be sanctified. These spiritual activities, these ordinary means of God's grace is how we get into the shower. It's how we bring ourselves under the transforming, cleansing ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. These are the means through which we are submitting to him and saying in a humble posture, I'm depending upon you, Holy Spirit, change me, cleanse me, empower me to say no to the addiction because I don't have the power in and of myself, but I'm gonna bring myself under you so that I can experience your sanctifying grace and bringing ourselves under the transforming ministry of the Holy Spirit, it requires faithful, consistent obedience and oh, effort. Effort. Sorry, surfer dudes. God isn't just going to reach down and funk you on the head and remove that addiction or that sin pattern or that sin habit. Doesn't happen like that. Sorry, get going, get God. You can do all this all day long thinking that this is some magic formula and is not going to give you victory over sin. But when we take advantage of the ordinary means of grace, depending, remember that word? Depending, depending on who we are in Christ, depending upon the Holy Spirit, when we obey and we involve ourselves in these means of grace, then the Holy Spirit begins to do his sanctifying work within us. Understand? I'm gonna keep talking if you don't say amen. Okay. 
loudest amen I've gotten in forever. See? Hey, let me give you one last quote here before we close out. Uh, Dallas Willard is another uh, man of God who's written a lot on spiritual transformation. And I like what he says about this. He says, grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning, okay? God's sanctifying grace is not opposed to us participating and working with the Holy Spirit so that we can be transformed into the image of Christ. We are called to do this. But it is opposed to us thinking that by involving ourselves in the means of grace, that in some way we earn God's blessing, that we earn God's favor and his delight. No, we already have that because of Jesus. We need both bookends. Hey, one final application to encourage you. Just one thought. The Holy Spirit's sanctifying work is ultimately going to culminate in our eternal glorification. He says, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Listen, church, and some of you I know this morning, like myself on any given moment and any given morning, in my Christian walk, I may be here, I may be here, I may be here. I may have had a great day, a great week, or a lousy day and a lousy week, right? You understand what I'm saying? Nod your head, I'll just keep going, okay? You gotta give me some feedback here, right? That's the way it is, that's reality. Don't forget this right here, that sanctification are the first steps of God's work in our life that are gonna culminate in glorification. And this is why Paul says in Philippians chapter one, I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. And so no matter how difficult a day you may have, no matter how hard the struggle is, perhaps with a sin habit or some other thing that is going on in your life, hold on to the truth of the gospel that your sanctification that the Holy Spirit is bringing about is going to be successful. And one day you're going to hear from your heavenly father, well done, good and faithful servant, because you will resemble our savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly father, thank you that we have this promise. It's the promise of the gospel that you determined to put your love upon us before the universe ever began. And that at every important moment, according to your wisdom, you move towards us in your grace to intervene for our good and for our growth and our transformation to being more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. And you do all of this, not because we deserve it, because we don't. You do all of this so that your name will be glorified and magnified among a people who do not deserve or warrant and merit any of it. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the grace that you have given us that was purchased for us by Jesus and his atoning work. Amen.